This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, I have some pretty exciting news and also some news that's kind of a bummer, honestly. All right. Well, let's get the bad news out of the way, at least. All right. Well, industry, you know, the conference that we organize every year in Cleveland, Ohio, happening this fall. Well, it's not going to be in Cleveland, Ohio anymore. We had to cancel the in-person edition of industry this year, which definitely is a bummer. Yeah. I mean, with everything going on, I, I guess that is expected. But okay, what about the exciting stuff? Well, yeah. Well, we can't gather in person in droves this fall, at least that just seems impossible to do that. We did decide to take industry virtual. So industry is happening, just not going to happen in person in Cleveland, Ohio. It's going to happen in your home office, in your home, 
wherever you might be in a safe place. All right. Well, what does that all entail? Well, Industry Virtual will be a two-day experience for product people happening this fall, um, September 22nd, 23rd. And some would call it a virtual conference, but I like saying experience because it's a whole lot more than what most online conferences are doing. I mean, yes, there will be amazing talks happening from product people like Jason Fried and Ryan Singer of Basecamp, uh, Julie Zhu, who's the former VP of product design at Facebook and author of Making of a Manager, um, Ash Moria, creator of the Lean Canvas, and like 20 other product people. But aside from that, there's interactive Q&A sessions. There's one-on-one video networking opportunities. So you can actually still have networking, even though this is virtual. Um, there will even be an exclusive mini season of Rocket Ship included as a part of the experience as well. And of course, notes from every single talk taken by professional journalists and a whole lot more, you know, other surprises, definitely more to come. I mean, hey, that sounds awesome. And yes, we're definitely excited to have Rocket Ship to be part of it. So how can folks get involved? Well, there's some good news on that too. I mean, the in-person edition in Cleveland, that would normally cost $700 plus hotel and travel. But before June 1st, you could grab a pass to industry virtual for as little as $99. And even after June 1st, the price is not much more than that. You just go to industryconference.com slash virtual. Again, it's industryconference.com slash virtual. And if you're a product person or product-minded entrepreneur, I know you're going to love it. All right. Well, now I have to tell you this story. The other day I received this email with the subject line, original Uber founder for rocketship.fm. Well, that's pretty exciting, right? And you know, I don't usually do this, but since we're planning this product journey season, I immediately sent over my calendar link to record and then promptly forgot about it. <laughs> then on the day of the recording, I looked at that email thread and I don't know, there wasn't a whole lot of information, so I figured I'd just wait. Okay. So I get on the call with George Arison, and I started asking him questions about the early days of Uber. Oh, no. And it turns out... He never worked at Uber, did he? No. He was the founder of the quote-unquote original Uber. That is some clickbait subject writing, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it worked on me. And and honestly, I'm glad it did, because otherwise we wouldn't have had this story today, the story of Shift, the millennial favorite peer-to-peer used car marketplace founded by George Arison, who previously founded Taxi Magic, which is dubbed the original Uber. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So before we get into the story of Shift, maybe we should start at Taxi Magic or even a little bit before that. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So according to a 2017 online profile, Arison was born into a politically influential family in the Republic of Georgia. At the time, tensions were high between the United States and the Soviet Union, but the 14-year-old Arison traveled to the United States to attend private school. He fell in love with America and decided to stay after graduation. His first job out of college was at BCG, the Boston Consulting Group in Washington. He was often sent by the company to smaller cities to meet clients, and it was through this experience that he realized how tiresome it was to try and book taxis in unfamiliar cities. The need to simplify this stressful process is what propelled him to stumble upon this idea of connecting with a taxi through an app. But it wasn't only that. Right. He also hated to drive. So I don't actually like to drive. Um, Back in the day, I didn't even have a license to drive when I was doing uh, Taxi Magic or even before the face of that. 
I was at BCG and we were traveling obviously all the time because that's what BCG consultants uh, fundamentally do. And it was a constant pain in the, in the one place because I couldn't get from point A to point B without having a list of all the taxes in a given location and then calling them all. It was like a nightmare. Um, and so I always was like, well, I have this BlackBerry. Why can't I book a taxi from a BlackBerry? This is like 2005, 2006. That's George Harrison. And I wanted to note here that Uber didn't launch until 2009. The concept was, hey, can we use a BlackBerry to connect to a dispatch system at a taxi cab um, through an integration um, and then facilitate a payment through the BlackBerry as well, where we would charge somebody's credit card um, and the driver would get a message saying, hey, you've been paid. And then through all that, create an electronic receipt which would go into your expense report so you didn't have to deal with that. And at this time, using a phone to perform these types of actions was pretty much unheard of. I don't even think Google Maps had a BlackBerry app at this time. <laughs> yeah, but this is just 15 years ago, and the world has changed dramatically since then. So why aren't we saying order a taxi magic instead of call an Uber? Yeah, which is, by the way, a pretty strange phrase when you think about it. <laughs> you never had to call an Uber at all. It's true. I, I don't know. But um, the answer is they focused on the wrong aspect of their solution. Payment was a huge part of it. Like you got to do the payment. And then um, when we launched it uh, and people downloaded and started using it, everyone loved the booking functionality of like book a taxi to come to you. But most people couldn't care about the payment functionality. Um, and so, but we would like send everybody this like really nasty email saying, we noticed that you didn't pay using Taxi Magic. Like, why did you do that? And and so instead of like building a product for consumers that they wanted, which was like focused on the booking, we built all this stuff around payment, which no one then was using. What we should have done is put up a website that said, do you want a taxi? If so, where? And then it should have sent us an email and we should call the cab company and have you send get a car. It's like the initial phase of the test of this product rather than spending six months integrating with dispatch systems and then, you know, kind of launching it at that point. So. Okay. I could see why Taxi Magic isn't a household name. They're just too slow to iterate into product market fit. And that market left them behind. The amazing thing about Taxi Magic was it was the innovator who was innovated by another innovator, i.e. Lyft. Um, Uber take, gets all the credit, but really actually Lyft is the uh, truly revolutionary company uh, in the kind of on-demand ground transportation space. So we can get to that. Then in 2010, George's visa is rejected and he's forced to leave Taxi Magic and take a job at a big company. That and the founding of Shift right after a quick break. So before the break, we learned that George's green card had just been rejected. Yeah, in 2010, my green card was rejected when I was at Taxi Magic a couple times, actually. And so I had to decide to, it was kind of bad. Um, and so I had to figure out what to do. And the lawyers are like, look, you got to go get a job at a big company. And so I left um, and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get a job at Google and, and join Google, um, partly because I wanted to move to the West Coast um, and partly because I needed a place that was really good about green cards and and, Google, and Google's really good at that. Um, and, and so I moved uh, out here to, to Palo Alto, actually, where I'm right now, um, and uh, was there for three years. Um, I had to start driving by then because you couldn't function in California without driving. So he's now driving, and with driving means you have to have a car. I bought a, I leased a car a, a little while back, um, and, uh, and that car I needed to buy out because the lease was ending. And so I like drive around Palo Alto to all these different banks trying to figure out how to get a loan for this car purchase, which is supposed to be super simple, right? Like I have the cars in my possession, I owe the bank at $17,000 and I just want to refinance from owning Ally on the lease to actually like owning the car uh, with some other bank. And all the banks are like, no, we can't do that. You got to go to 
uh, a dealer to get uh, to get the car financed. And I'm like, I the dealer's in Virginia because that's why I bought the car. A and then B, like, why I already have the car in my possession. Um, so I, that was kind of my impetus into the auto space. Toby um, was at, at Capital One, uh, and he had just taken the job and wants to buy a car. So he like finds the car he wants to buy, CarMax, and calls up Capital One out of finance and says, "Hey, I want to get a loan to buy this car." And they're like, "You can't do that." And he's like, "What do you mean I can't do that?" Like, of course I can, and I should. And but he's like in a very senior job at Capital One too, so he's like trying to be a really good citizen to to use Capital One out of finance. And like, no, you can't do that. So then basically he has to go to CarMax, get a loan from CarMax and then refinance that loan because it was impossible to get a loan to buy a car at CarMax. And their answer is, well, if CarMax were one of our diamond dealers, you could do it, but if they're not, you can't. So both of us have this experience of like, somehow the market is not functioning properly because something's getting in the way. And this is the problem that Shift is born out of. They realize that buying and financing a car through a channel other than a dealership is an uphill battle and one that they feel like they can help fix. And through these experiences, they learn that there are some key distinctions when looking for car financing as an individual, and it all has to do with risk mitigation. Turns out that there's like two types of car loans. There's what's called a direct loan, when you go into a bank and they give you money to buy a car. And there's an indirect loan where they go through a dealer. And banks hate doing direct finance for car purchase, and they, they love doing indirect because they put all the risk on the dealer. dealer. So if like, the car has problems, title issues, whatever, that's the dealer's fault. If the dealer didn't check your license properly and your address is wrong, whatever, dealer's fault, etc. So that like uh, dichotomy makes the car loans really cheap because they pass all the risk onto the dealer, but it's also impossible to get the direct loan and puts the dealer in control of the transaction. And so our initial thinking was like, hey, is there a way to build a product that kind of eliminates that? Can you deliver to the bank a customer that's doing a transaction outside of a dealership but remove all the issues that they have with a direct transaction uh, and have all that safety and security um, of a dealer transaction that, a deal, that the bank likes. So this was the original thesis, but they avoided their previous mistakes and went extremely lean on early product development and instead tried to learn as much as they could about the market. In fact, their first product was just an email to Craigslist users. So that's kind of initially what we wanted to build. And, and then, you know, I spent the next two years kind of learning about the auto space and realized that there's a lot of complexity there and you needed to be in the middle of the transaction if you wanted to solve the banking issue. And so we got into to building ship. So the evolution of this company was like fundamentally different from how we built Taxi Magic, where there like we knew what the product had to be and kind of built that and made a ton of mistakes. Here, like we had an idea in the broad space we wanted to deal with, but then did you know months of testing and learning our way into the product. Um, and we had like testing and learning happening before we had any software at all. Like literally I had three contractors in the country of Georgia, where I'm originally from, sending emails to customers on Craigslist, asking them, hey, like we have this product of offering a loan to your buyer. Would you want to sell this product? But it was not a real product. It was just like a web page that advertised a, uh, a, a, a something but didn't really exist. Um, and then what would happen is the customers would reply and then we'd engage them. And half the time customers like, you know, I'm really sick of selling this car. Can you please take it away and sell it for me? Um, and I'm like, well, like I'm in a, my apartment in San Francisco. I have contractors in Georgia, halfway around the world. So no, I don't think I can take your car away. But so many people were telling us like to take my car away. It made you realize like, hey, there's actually a business in this thing of like taking cars away from individuals who, wanna, who are trying to sell it and selling it on their behalf because 
They don't want to sell to a dealership because the, the, the offer that they're getting is really terrible. But if you could give them a better deal, um, you can aggregate a lot of individual sellers and have a lot of really good inventory. And thus, Shift is born. Not the original problem that they set out to solve through their research, but they realized that if they wanted to pursue their original mission, they were going to have to start by building a marketplace for buyers and sellers of used cars. Here's a commercial from 2017 explaining Shift. A test drive used to mean you going to the car. Instead, what if the car came to you? And what if it was driven to your home or office by someone who is just plain friendly? Answering all your questions without the salesy car talk and tactics. At Shift, that's what you get. Individual sellers in your area work with Shift to handle the entire process. We inspect their car to make sure it's in great condition and list it on Shift, where buyers like you can find the perfect car and request a free test drive delivered to you. So you can just find a really great car at a really great price and have it come to you. That's what we do because we're Shift. That's pretty compelling. Uh, so that's the buyer side, but what about the seller side? So I found this interview with one of Shift's co-founders, Minnie Ingersoll, with TechCrunch she did in 2016, addressing the seller side. Most people go to sell their car on Craigslist and don't really realize that scheduling test drives is harder than they think. They don't really know how to price their car. Um, all of that is what we solve here at Shift. So we will take the car from you and we will price it accurately. We will take professional photographs. We will write um, copy for your car. We will get it listed for maximum exposure across all the major listing sites. And then we will handle everything to do with the sale, whether that's test drives or all the paperwork at the end. And you just get a check from us. Who would you say this service is ideally for? This is someone who wants more money than they're gonna get if they go into a dealership, um, but also doesn't actually wanna deal with all the hassle of selling their car on Craigslist. So what could go wrong? That and more after a quick break. So Shift is running extremely lean, mainly due to their overinvestment in features at George's previous company, Taxi Magic. Our CTO um, was the only engineer on board. Um, amazing engineer, but still only one. We had a contract team in Vietnam, uh, and uh, my co-founder, Mini Ingersoll, was the PM for it. Now, this was like a very easy PMing project for Mini because she was like one of the earliest PMs at Google. So <laughs> kind of big step down in terms of what she's working on. So we built this really basic skin of like cars are listed on the website there's a button you can click to book a test drive you put in your address there's not even like geolocation of where you are or anything of that nature um, and then that sends an email to all of us at the company telling us that someone's booked a test drive <laughs> we got to get the car out to the customer's house and so that was like the very basic iteration of our first product Oh yeah, only in, only in the Bay Area. Yeah, a, broad, a little broader than just San Francisco, like Bay Area only. Um, and you know, we built that like in two weeks or something, in three weeks from you know February through March or something. And then in April, we're now testing this. And like the first batch of initial cars are parked in front of like our apartments or in Minnie's garage and whatever, like parking lots, you know, uh, on Mission on Mission Street. Yeah, and like one of our cars got broken into. So yeah, what do you do with that? And like. Every, you know, for cars parked on the street, like there's a whole street cleaning day. So like, what do you do with that? Because you have to like move them all around and all the silly stuff. Because we're working mostly out of my house at this point. Um, but, but like the, the weird thing is that car sales, you can kind of generate them pretty quickly. 
And so, because there's third-party listing sites that um, that you can list the cars on and get demand. And so we started selling cars like really actively in June, and in, within you know a month we sold like forty cars. Um, so you have all this revenue coming in like really fast. Uh, and then, you know, you can reach out to sellers on Craigslist and be like, hey, do you want to sell a car to us? So you're also getting a lot of sellers that way um, and also listing cars on Craigslist for buyers, et cetera. So like the company started kind of growing really fast and had a lot of revenue um, and needed a lot of people before we had any product. Because we still have this like super basic, like, you know, Vietnam built skin of the product with no infrastructure in the background. Because it's literally like this dude wants a test drive. Here's an email. Go. But with growth, this methodology could only last so long. Well, we didn't fully grasp at that point. This is like summer of 2016 um, or so summer of 2015 is that scaling beyond that point with no product was going to be impossible. And so like we took the lean startup a little bit too far in that like we then were like too lean for our own good. And we're and suddenly scaling meant a lot more people and people and people. And our unit economics completely got out of control, right? Because to go from like 150 cars sold a month to 300 cars sold a month, you had to like massively scale number of people and they were just not realistic. And so that really got in the way. And so I think our that approach, like the product lean focused approach was great for the first six to nine to 12 months. But then we should have like hankered down with a lot more software, put technology leverage on the product uh, and then scaled more. We didn't really do that. That's a little bit of a problem with venture back companies because you constantly have to grow, grow, grow. Um, and then obviously we then paid a very heavy price on the back end because then we were like trying to scale something that was not profitable and that doesn't work. And so we had to like take a step back and really kind of slim down almost in size and, and try to figure out the unit economics. So the types of issues that they hit were around scheduling and financing and insurance. Right. The average dealer probably sells about 50 cars a month. They have two people working full time on the financing and insurance side, and then they have their sales reps. And scheduling those reps so they have enough people on the floor at busy times so they don't lose a sale, but they don't have people just sitting around for too long and they're losing money on paying salaries. It's a tough balance to hit. So as shift scaled, they hit the same issues. And in order to scale past the point of the average dealer, they needed to start looking at technology to solve their problems. But since they waited too long in the beginning, they're still playing catch up. We really ran into trouble on that one. And, and um, you know, quite honestly, you are still paying the price because to this day, our operation is ahead of where the technology that we have is um, because we're always playing catch up for the technology. But all in all, the company's doing great. These are often good problems to have as long as they're not too far behind. In 2018, they reported $135 million in revenue. Once they hit $300 million, they'll look to take the company public. And that could come as early as next year. So that's the journey of Shift. And next week, we'll bring you the story of Live from Tomorrow. Live from Tomorrow? I, I don't even think I've heard of that. Because it actually hasn't launched nationwide just yet. But I can tell you there will be singing, possibly dancing. All right. I'm into it. And, <laughs> and so we'll see you back here next Thursday for another episode of Rocketship.fm. where We're covering product journeys, big and small, for all of Season 9. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship.fm now has a premium ad-free feed. 
All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash rocket ship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And rocket ship FM is produced in partnership with product collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network. So a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm.